Hello, everyone. Welcome back into the MLS Bench podcast. Uh, on this fine Thursday, I'm joined by Andres and Matt. I am Joey. Uh, we're here to break down a exciting weekend of MLS and also uh, some super, super, super intriguing Open Cup uh, matchups that happened in the midweek. Uh, we're in the semifinal stage, so that's all going to be super exciting. We might also hit on uh, Toronto FC as you know their new signings came in and uh, they fell in the Voyagers Cup to Vancouver. A super jam-packed pod, uh, but I think it's only right and only fair that we start with the Open Cup that concluded last night, the semifinal stage. Uh, it was the N- or Red Bulls at Orlando first, and then to be followed up uh, by SKC at Sacramento Republic, the lone USL side. I guess we'll kind of take it in chronological order, and I think it's, I, I guess we can just start with Orlando, um, and they're, in the end, uh, stomping win, I think you can say, over uh, the Red Bulls. It was 5-1 in the end. At, at times, it didn't look like it was going to be that dominant. Um, it Actually, Red Bulls opened the scoring first. Lewis Morgan, uh, just after um, uh, the 45th minute mark, one minute into uh, stoppage time. And then Cesar Araujo, uh, with four, four minutes in the stoppage time, leveled the scoring. So a crazy end of the first half. But really, from the beginning of the second half, it was all Orlando. Four consecutive goals and a 5-1 win that sees them host the uh, U.S. Open Cup final. That'll come up in September. Matt, did you watch this game? And if so, what were your takeaways uh, as Orlando ended up romping the Red Bulls? I I was able to see uh, the latter half of this match and (laughs) really good time to join because six goals in 45 minutes is not too bad of a return. Um... The the big thing that I was just, you start off with kind of the battle of cliche, you know, when's the worst time to have a, sco- a goal scored against you right at the end of half. So you have Lewis Morgan putting one away, and you think that that's going to be it. For then, that could be a complete false start for, for Cesar Araujo to go ahead and put away that the, the first goal for Orlando. It just, it adds so much more drama to that match. Um and I think at at this point, the Red Bulls are really going to need to uh, reckon with the fact that they are running their players into the ground too often. Like, it, it's a high-press system. It's a lot of energy. But that gets spent pretty quick. And I think in the second half of this, a lot of players who just played a, a match in Austin are then playing another 90 minutes in the Orlando Heat, and in, in this one in a downpour, I think that they just got tired, they got sloppy, and they got ran through. Yeah, I I think that's basically my take as well. And we're going to talk about uh, Red Bulls in a minute and their match against Austin. Um, but I, I think when it comes to this game specifically, they looked okay. And they teams were exchanging blows in the first half. Red Bulls were certainly better, I think, in possession, you could uh, say, um, over the course of the half, at least in terms of, you know, areas they were getting into. They looked like Red Bulls that we know uh, for the first, you know, 45 or so. Then Orlando gets that goal off a set piece right at the end of the half, right as the referee... Um, uh, was about to blow his whistle. They got a corner. They served it in, scored, and I think that was like the, basically the last kick of the first half. And uh, it was 
uh, Mauricio Pereira in the 47th, and then from then on, it was all Orlando. If you want to talk about an open game, uh, just a fun back-and-forth game, this was the one. <laughs> I mean, it was insane. Uh, Andres, thoughts on this one? Uh, I'm not sure if you watched this one, but even just generally uh, the, the teams and how you kind of saw this matchup play out. Yeah, I think, you know, if you if you look at Orlando over the last few months, they've won one match in about two months, and that's including the Open Cup. Both their quarterfinal and semifinal were, were won on penalties. Um, they had won against Inter-Miami a few weeks ago on an own goal in the 93rd. Now, this isn't, this isn't exactly a team that you would have predicted to be uh, blowing out. A, a team as good as the Rebels, even at home. So I think... It's not shocking that Orlando is the team going through. I think they're they're decent and and they were at home and it's you know it's not a it's not a huge upset, but I think it is a little surprising the the five goals and and the way that the the game plays out and and from from Red Bulls you know okay fine I, I'll buy that the high pressing system gets gets guys you know tired and, and fatigued but they rotated quite a bit over the weekend um most of their guys you know Lucinius and lewis morgan didn't play aaron long was pulled at halftime so i would have i would have expected a, a little bit more from them even if austin was in the, in the 90s and, and so was orlando so yeah I, i'm a little bit surprised at at how um big of a margin we had we had in this one, but in general, you know, Orlando at home still pretty good team, so it's not totally shocking. Yeah, not not totally shocking in the slightest. And also, I mean, back to your point about player rotation, uh, and like we said, uh, we're going to talk about that match later, the MLS match um, that you know went down on Sunday. But Caden Clark, Serge Goma uh, rotated in. Uh, I remember. Um, Somebody had uh, replied to the Red Bulls uh, tweeting their lineup for that game and had said, you know, why are we, you know, resting the starters? Why, why are the youngsters getting a run out? And they liter- the Red Bulls Twitter account literally replied and said, because we have an Open Cup semifinal in Orlando on Wednesday. That was, you know, telling to as, you know, how they saw this. They wanted to win this game. This was the game, right? Uh, you, you know, your clearest path to a trophy, I think, was said multiple times on that broadcast. And it's true. You know, two mat- two wins. Uh, for the Red Bulls and you know for Orlando, and they have a trophy and a spot in CCL, so that's that's powerful and that's you know reason to go out and play your uh, top squads. And both teams, by the way, put out basically their top squads. Um, but I think in the in the second half, Orlando showed that once they were willing to break that press, and I think Red Bulls folded a little bit at the end. But when they broke that press, uh, on I think we can we can claim some tiredness on the uh, the Red Bulls part. Um, excuse me. It was all Orlando, and when Orlando was running at that Red Bulls defense, they didn't have much of an answer. What do you say, Matt? No, I. They don't have another club in the bag, and so if they can't press you to death, then they don't really have another way to go ahead and try and play against you. And you know, if you just let them have the ball, they don't know what to do with it that well, and it, it's it's a real struggle for Struber to go ahead and figure this out. I think it's sad. They have great midfielders. Like, Caceres is a good midfielder, international quality. Amaya has come into his own. We look at those two in front of them at times. Omir Fernandez, I want to touch on him in just a minute because he's insane. He's, he's playing he's out so of his good. mind right now. And we have Lucinias as well. 
those are really solid players who are really good with the ball, and yet it just never really seems to come off. And I don't know why that is, but and, and maybe it's part of the system. But man, you, you want more from just the names and those players themselves. I feel like they can do more. I mean, I might be, you know, off, off base with that one, but I feel like that's. I feel like that's not an unfair expectation to say, hey, when you have the ball, we want a little more passing, a little more combination. I, Andres, is that unfair to say, or do you think I'm, you know, that, that criticism is fair? I mean, I think it's fair, but we've, we've mentioned it a couple of times. They don't really have that striker up top either to hold up the ball or to finish. And so you're, you're relying so much on just turning guys over and then transitioning that you don't really ever build um, sustained attacks. And so it's not something that they're really used to doing. It's not something that they look to do. So it, it, it seems like maybe, maybe if you were to change systems or change what you were going for in terms of this is how you want to, you know, what is it, principles of play, as, as Greg Berhalter would say, we want to we play this way. Um, maybe if you did that more often, you'd get more out of that. But they're so, uh, you know, into that pressing turn teams over leads to transition. And you saw it work over the weekend. So it's not that it's a bad system. It just doesn't. It doesn't lead into a lot of sustained chance creation when you have possession of the ball, regardless of the names on the on the team. And, and I wanted to ask you guys what you think, because you say, okay, we win 4-3 on the road at Austin in the league. Three days later, you lose 5-1 in the Open Cup semis. Are you okay with that if you're a Red Bull? Are you disappointed? Would you have wanted to swap results? What, what do you think is is going through Red Bulls and Struber's mind in terms of the you last few days. Sorry, you 100% want to swap results. I'm sorry. Yeah. There's, It's a semifinal. If they win this, it's it ends up being uh, a home game against a USL championship side for a spot in CCL, the prize money that goes along with winning the Open Cup. Yeah, you want to swap results. 100%. This Everybody's looking for silver. Like... Everybody wants to bring in that trophy, and I'm I'm trying to think. I don't know if Red Bull actually has an Open Cup trophy to this point. So they have their supporter shields. They don't have an MLS Cup. Having having another trophy is so so massive. And then you factor in the fact that that win, although great and against a very very good team, is against a team in the opposite conference. And so. It's the, the points, it's still three points on the on the board, but they don't carry the same weight as if it was against a NYCFC. Yeah, I, I'm with you. And I mean, quickly before we move on from this game, because I mean, there's only so much you can hit on a 5-1 game that was, you know, pretty decisive from the kick of the second half on. But Orlando did show that they have a bit, especially in the attacking third. Um as the second half, you know, played out and a credit to them for, you know, not, you know, dropping their heads after the Morgan goal and just heading into halftime for getting that goal, for giving themselves momentum heading into halftime and then exploding afterwards. They really didn't look back, um, uh, you know, really from that Pereira goal onwards. So credit to Orlando. They will be hosting uh, the U.S. Open Cup final. Uh, in Explorer Stadium, Explorer Stadium, and that's at the beginning of September. I think it's September sixth or September seventh. I think it's a uh, TBD on that date. So uh, that's super exciting for them. 
I'm not sure if they've won the Open Cup. I'm not sure if they have... No, the, as far as I know, they don't have any trophies. Yeah, I think they don't have any hardware, yeah, in, in MLS. So, uh, MLS and Open Cup included. So, exciting for them to see what they can do um, in the hunt for their you know first ever trophy in uh, their club. So, I guess we can move on to the second matchup of the night. And this one ended up being, while you know, less goals in the run of play, uh, infinitely... Uh, more exciting, I think, um, except for, you know, dear Matt, who had to suffer once more. Um, I was about to say, but, there's a second match? that I, I, I was unaware of this. Who was yeah. playing? I mean, honestly, just, uh, just black it out, man, honestly. But, no, 0-0 uh, zero, zero heading in um, to penalties uh, in this one between Sacramento Republic and Sporting KC. This one was in Sacramento, incidentally, with the California State Fair happening in the background. Uh, so that added just a little level of, I, I, for me, amusement, as you know, you saw like the, the swings in the Ferris wheel going. Um, but yeah, 0-0 zero, zero after 90, 0-0 zero, zero after extra time. And it would end up being a 5-4 win in penalties for Sacramento. The only uh, miss being, unfortunately, our boy Graham Zussi saved by Vidiello in net. And Sacramento Republic, USL Championship side, first one in quite a few years, heading to the USL, uh, or not the USL, the US Open Cup final. But uh, Matt, as our resident Sporting KC fan, what are your feelings on this one? It's enraging to be quite honest uh and for a, a, a number of reasons um the, the biggest one being if sporting had just put away the opportunities that they had that which were pretty good uh pretty good opportunities on the expected goal model like they had the every chance to move forward and they just continued to let it slide and let it slide and let it slide um in, in this match it, it is it was not a one-sided game by any means there was absolutely uh some really really good end to end soccer from both teams and and absolute massive credit uh for or to Sacramento on pulling out this win um this is one of those matches that shows that there is no friction when you're trying to play through the sporting midfield at this point uh, and the only way that we try to get any of that friction created is dropping both of our wingers back in defense, putting nine behind the ball, and then we can't attack. Um, it's a it's a rough match. It's a really really rough match. Uh, massive props. I love. Uh, I think his name was uh, Keiko from uh, S- uh, Sacramento. Really fun to watch. Had a great opportunity that he probably put, should have put past Pulse Camp from about twelve yards out. Um, and then penalties are, are penalties, and it's it's a coin flip. So really, really tough one. Yeah. Andres, I'll get to you in just a second. Uh, but I do want to go back to you, Matt, on this kind of... It's a re-emerging storyline. It comes up every single year. This year, maybe even earlier than before. So many cramps in this game. So many oh just God. times where Sporting KC players are on the ground grabbing their legs, whatever many subs because of that you know cramp conundrum this is a repeated incidence year after year after year overuse on the sporting kc players i don't know you know what we can say besides like either get you know more depth or rotate better but what do you have to say about you know just the insane amount of cramps in this game 
there's you know a, a handful of things that are true all at the same time. Uh, Sporting Kansas City is in kind of a rough position from a uh, budget cap side in that we have two DPs that are, I believe, both on season-ending injury list. Uh, we have a couple other players who are just hurt that are going to be out for a few weeks. We have players coming in right now who have been out of season for the last couple months. Um, and then we just have a whole bunch of old players. Like, the, the roster build is not good at this point in time. And uh, we... Sporting likes to tout their academy and that they play their young kids, and they don't, really. Like, it's it's Cam Duke, it's Felipe Hernandez, it's John Polskamp. Caden Pierre's got some minutes, that's about it. Like, it's... it's we, we put ourselves in a bad position from, from some of the cap spend, and then we don't do the best that we can with the limited resources that we have, and then eventually you're going to get a year like this that... Unfortunately, as a sporting fan, we're probably just going to have to write off as a, a bad year. I hope you get them next time. And it's, it's not a, a place that this fan base wants to be in at all. I was, I was at the uh, LAFC match this, this weekend, or the, the sporting LAFC match, and it's an entire different mood in the stands now. And it's tough because they've been so, or we've been so used to success, but... They need to start from scratch. Yeah, I, I don't think you're going to have a ton of sporting KC fans that disagree with you, Matt. Andres, as this one played out, um, what are just kind of your basic thoughts? Like, I think every neutral in this one was rooting for Sacramento just because of the story. But I think as an MLS pod, we're kind of obligated to also touch on, you know, the sporting KC side of this. Because wh while you're right, Matt, in saying this was a you know, th th there was two sides to this game. It was not only Sporting KC. Sacramento Republic had a couple chances, including one, uh, you know, melee basically um, in the box uh, towards the end of the first half where they could have, you know, put something on the ball and put it away. But Sporting KC had, you know, the vast majority of the chances in this game. The XG battle was almost certainly, you know, tilted in their favor. So, Andres, where do you kind of want to go with this? Do you think it's worth you know, talking about Sacramento, or do you think, you know, as MLS fans, we kind of need to address Sporting KC for what they are at this point? Yeah. <clears throat> so I don't think it's it's super fair for me to talk about Sacramento just because I don't know very, very much about them, to be honest, other than congratulations on, on making a cup final. And I think it's, from what I understand, the first one since 2008 that a second division team makes a final. So that's it's awesome for them and great job. I can touch a little bit more on sporting and and I think it's first of all, what am I thinking as the as the match is going on is I'm thinking this is all that sporting had left to really fight for this year. I think I I, I guess probably the the management, you know, Vermees and his staff maybe haven't ridden off the regular season and making the playoffs. Um, but I think most of us watching the league. Um, have sincere doubts that they're that they're really capable of making a, a run towards a playoff spot. So, from from my perspective, this Open Cup was their their chance to salvage something from this season. And it, and the later you get in, the more you the, into the match, the more you know that, like Matt said, uh, penalties are a coin flip, and you're you find yourself in a position where 
you're you're banking on a coin flip to to salvage your 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 season. So yeah, not great. And I'm glad he mentioned the LAFC match because I was watching that and thinking back three or four years now, 2019 um, at the beginning of the season. Uh, Sporting had just beaten up on Toluca in the Champions League, had an early season match against LAFC. And at that point, it was really kind of billed as a matchup of the probably best two teams in the league um, or two of the best teams in the league. And I think there was a late goal from Diamande to win it for LAFC. And it was just, there was a feeling of, this is a huge match between two really good teams and watching the match from the weekend, you know, you don't get that feeling. And Matt talked about the feeling in the stands. Here's the feeling of an observer from far away that's just seeing an overmatched, um, not really well-constructed team at this point. It needs to figure out what they want to do in order to prepare for, I think, next season. Because um, we said it two months ago. Uh, that it was probably going to be a write-off, and it definitely seems like one at this point. It, I ha- like, I, it's one of those ones that I need to go to the history books. This might be one of the year-over-year biggest losses in MLS history, to be quite honest. Like, it was, we were one result away from being the number one seed last year in the West uh, to now being the favorites for the wooden spoon. That, that, that's rough. Uh, that's rough. I say this though, Matt. You know, at the end of last season, there was there were already signs of oh, absolutely of, of this roster kind of breaking down, especially defensively. Um, and the last month or so of the season was was pretty bad, and we've seen it a little bit in terms of a couple injuries hit this team. We saw it in that 2019 season. Um, and and it falls apart. It's not the first time. Let's say I'm I'm a little bit surprised that it's gotten this bad, but you could sort of see this coming from a little bit away. Yeah, and not to do the history lesson on last year, but like it was Seattle and Sporting KC for that number one spot, and neither team really you know stuck a claim to it and just let it hang. And Colorado came in and snatched it at the last moment, almost unexpectedly. But like that, w- that could have been Sporting KC's for the taking for like the last month, two months of the season. It could have been theirs. Um, and you can make a case that that RSL game never should have happened the way it did. Like RSL should have never. Um, you know, it, that was that was Sporting KC's. I'm not gonna say they dominated that game, but they controlled large stretches of, of that game and let RSL off the hook a couple times. Um. And it just, I think it goes back to speak to, like you said, Matt, the roster build. And, you know, I look at the bench and there are players that I've seen play for this team, but players in that I might not be like sub sub them in, you know, in extra time of a cup semifinal. Like, I'm not sure there's basically anybody on that bench, save for Felipe Hernandez um, last night, that I would be like, okay, I would take them, you know, in this moment because I just don't, that player doesn't exist right now for Sporting KC off the bench. Yeah, I, I, we might go ahead and transition to some of the um, MLS matches before too long here, but uh, just to kind of really reiterate that, that process, uh, or that, that uh, idea, uh, at the LAFC match, um, 
I was sitting over in the stands, and all right, the the halftime su- or the uh, the subs that are going to come on in second half are getting ready, and you have um, Cam Duke for Sporting Kansas City, and you have Gareth Bale for LAFC. It's not like <laughs> obviously that is not what any team in Major League Soccer can really match up to, but that's that's a just a completely different league, and so it's. You have to find some other way to compete if you're if you're in one of these smaller markets. There are teams that are doing it so so well, and it's just not sporting at this point in time. And they still have the fan base, which is the sad thing. Like you see the stadium, and, and so many times Children's Mercy is packed out, and the team at this point just isn't necessarily getting the job done enough. I don't think. Um, and I can I give one silver lining on sporting, just to maybe not I'll be so it. depressing. Um, I thought <laughs> I thought. Eric Tommy looked pretty good, pretty uh, yeah. pretty sprightly, um, dangerous. Um, if you get Kinda and Pulido back, and you resign Shallowy, if if Tommy is is what what he looks like, he might be. You have the makings of of a much better team going into next season. Um, but it's all it's all it all hinges on the health of those two guys because they they don't have the academy products to. To fill in when you're missing, I mean nobody does, right? Nobody can fill in on two DPS for the most yeah. part, but even less so right now. Sporting, I don't. the The only thing I would say to that is, like, yes, I Tommy looked good, and I think you know he he will be a you know a welcome addition to this team. Um, Felipe Hernandez, who who has been playing pretty well for Sporting, um, uh, came off the bench in this one. He's one that you know could be there when Roger Espinoza, you know, finally falls off that cliff and we've been waiting for that and he's 35 and he's still kind of kicking. So I guess we'll wait for that. I think my issue though, is just like long-term and, you know, even just over the course of an MLS season when travel and heat are built into it, you know, you have Graham Zusi, who's the right back on this team. He's 35. You have Ben Sweat, who's 30 at left back. You have, you know, Fontas isn't, young uh you know you have all these players you know roger in key positions where you need those guys to be able to function and to be workhorses where you know come september october it, it it's a crapshoot who really knows matt, matt is that just before we move on your kind of take on that yeah um and and some of it was really really rough luck you know uh if we look back again to get the historical perspective if Jaden Lindsay or, or Jalen Lindsay hadn't gotten hurt, then Graham Zuzi doesn't play as many minutes last year. And there's potential that we hold on to, to Lindsay and who knows what that means for the right back position. Uh, Felipe Hernandez was obviously suspended last year uh, following um, him coming to the league with gambling issues. Uh, if that doesn't happen, does uh, Roger play as many minutes as he does. Probably not. Who knows what happens in the midfield? There's just a ton of what ifs that uh, it just seems like those have kind of broken rough for sporting. That's life, you know. We just have to move on and and try to take it better next year. Yeah, I, I think that they'll be back um, better certainly next year. And um, quickly, do you have anything that you wanted to mention um, in regards to that LAFC match? I know you were there. Uh, that we haven't really touched on, obviously Gareth Bale getting his first MLS goal uh, coming off the bench. 
Yes, and uh, so I got to go to this match with my dad for his birthday. So if you're listening, happy birthday, dad. Um, uh, this match was very, very fun. This is actually, for the first about 50 minutes or so of the match, Sporting hung in there. It was, it was pretty all right. Um, it, Tommy was super, super active. I Exactly what you were talking about, Andres, like... He just has an eye to go ahead and move the ball forward to get into dangerous spots, makes great runs, and recognizes runs out of folks like uh, uh, Felipe Hernandez. Really, really good stuff to see. And then, again, those those substitutions happen. Bill comes on, and there's going to be some really, really fun. It's, it's, it's the, the North America Bale Tour, because... The the atmosphere was electric at that point. There's it's going to be interesting to watch how many crowds are going to come out and watch Gareth Bale. So that was cool. Um, LAFC are a monstrously good team. Uh, Elie I think is a massive part of that. If only for the sake of I love him, but he adds a, so much stability from that six, and I think that they're they're gonna, if not win the shield, really. <laughs> They might win it all, to be quite honest. Like, it's it's tough. I forgot that this was the uh, ELEA, you know, return match to SKC. Yeah. That's context as well. Uh, I completely forgot about that. But, yeah, um, this might be, you know, the, the last time that we talk about SKC in a while, so I'm glad we kind of had the long-form discussion on that one. Um, I, we can kind of move on from Open Cup. It'll be... Uh, Orlando City hosting Sacramento Republic in the final. Uh, Sac Republic. I'm not sure the last time that a second division team's won Open Cup. The we had the the playing in the final. If one of you know, you guys can chime in. But man, it's going to be something special to see if you know they can pull it out in Orlando. That would be a Cinderella story for the ages, and why we love this uh, cup so much. Just imagine. I think uh, uh, Jordan Angeli was asking uh, Vidiello about it last night. You know. I would went away from uh, the CONCACAF Champions League, which is insane to think about. Um, but we can move on to league action. And I guess I want to start with Toronto because, you know, out of all the league matches, I feel like Toronto was the biggest story with Insignia and Bernadeschi getting those, uh, you know, their first starts in the league. Um, man, what a performance. Just leaving absolutely no doubt from the opening whistle. Coming out, Michael Bradley gets two goals. Toronto scores are all four of their goals in the first half. And Senior has an assist. Bernadeschi has a goal and an assist. This was what any Toronto fan would have dreamed uh, of for their new signings. So, Andres, what do you see in this one? And do you think that this kind of Toronto energy is sustainable, maybe even to the tune of a playoff run? So before we move too far away from LAFC and, and Sporting, I just wanted to really, really quickly mention, because we talked about it quite a bit last week, another goal for Chicho Arango. So oh, yeah. Yep, just yeah. on a great goal, too. Super productive, just like we, just like we talked about. Um, and that's all I've got to add. We talked quite a bit about it last week. Just wanted to, to mention it. Um, yeah, so Toronto, you know, part of this, I want to say... Unfortunately, is Charlotte. Um, they've shown some signs of these kind of breakdowns. Uh, I thought the Inter Miami match was pretty telling that they were significantly second best um, in that one. Um, and here you're going back on the road against a super amped 
Toronto team with with their new signings, and you get a really unlucky bounce for that first goal, and then I think you just kind of let the the floodgates through. Uh, I am I'm not convinced. I think Toronto will be extremely entertaining, but I'm not convinced that they're going to be solid enough to make a run uh, in the last 10 games. Uh, but it'll be super fun to watch, for sure. Um, wow. Bernard, Bernard is going to be ahead. a really good player, but I don't know if they're, they're going to have enough defensively to, to climb all the way up into a playoff spot. Yeah, I think I disagree. I I think the signing of Daniil Henry is going to prove massive. We talk about a player who is a Canadian national team stalwart at this point, has played World Cup qualifying matches for Canada, is the real deal, has gone away from that club. You know, he was with, uh, I think, LAFC very briefly, got released. But and, you know, he's had time in Canada. He's had time overseas. I think that Henry is going to bo- like really bolster that defense. And with Shane O'Neill, who we know is a, you know, MLS, you know, caliber player, I think that they're going to have enough. That That's just the way that I see it, like, defensively. The, the only problem I have is that midfield was getting played through pretty easily, um, even though that they were, and maybe it was because they were up a couple goals, you know, basically from the the start of the game. But still, I I have faith in Bradley Oso and Mark Anthony K to sort that out because they're all really, really, really good players. Um, up top speaks for itself. That's just the way I see it. I think that you know they're only six points out of a playoff spot, and I think that when you add in like five players and the, the, specifically the five that they did, I think those players can make up six points. But I don't know, Matt. What, what's your take on this? I think that they can sneak into the playoffs. I don't think they'll be a, a home team or anything like that. And I don't think they'll have a ton of luck going deep into the playoffs because once they aren't playing a, a Charlotte, they're going up against some really, really solid defenses. Um, I do think that Toronto is blockbuster stuff moving forward. Like instant, you have to turn that game on because if they are throwing everything in front of the defensive line forward. They're going to score a lot, no doubt. But I exactly like Andres is saying, they're going to open themselves up so much. And if there are teams that were actually going to be able to go and get <laughs> get into that back line, I, there's just nothing you can do to stop, you know, direct runs at your defense. Um yeah, I, I I think that there's enough, if only for the sake of so many teams get into the playoffs. I think that they get in. I don't think that they are. Nobody will want to go and play them, but I don't think anybody's going to be too terrified. I think the point you made about better defenses is important, though, because like, you know, when you when you get into that, you know, Montreal who we know are really good defensive team, Red Bulls, NYCFC, Philly, they can all play defense. I we're, we're looking at a seventh spot, probably for Toronto if they are to sneak in. But I do just look at their next six matches, and it's New England twice, Portland, and Miami are both in there. I think that, that that's four winnable games in the next really month. The only tough games I would say... Oh, and then they have Charlotte um, on August 28th. So... Really, four out of the next six, five out of the next six, I would say, could be wins. Uh, Nashville, they have coming up in oh, basically a week. 
and then they have a tough stretch as you get into like the very end of August and September, Galaxy, Montreal, uh, Orlando, and so on. But really for the next month, I think that they can feast and, and put themselves in a good position uh, to make a run at that you know sixth, seventh spot. That's just the way I see it. Andres, how, bad, how bad is it that you're that, that how far off has New England fallen that the point record breaking team from last season is now two relatively easy games for the team in 13th place in the Eastern Conference? That is, <laughs> I was thinking that as I was saying it. That's unbelievable. <laughs> that is insane. Um, and I don't necessarily, I mean, I don't think they're easy wins, but New England's nowhere near. Where they were, where they were last year. Um, you were gonna ask me something, and I and I cut you off. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's all good. It's all good. Because um, I think that that is a pretty necessary point uh, to make. I would just mean like, as we you know progress, and we obviously like that attack speaks for itself. We're talking about you know Italian national team players in that attack. I think the midfield is really my question because we know that all those players are. You know, when we look at Michael Bradley, he's played in World Cups. We we look at Osorio and Mark Anthony K. They will play in World Cups. They are you know international caliber players. What like for me? That's my most interested like position group out of that team. Can they gel? Can they start to work together well? What's your kind of take? Like obviously you mentioned defensively is a a rough spot, but where's the position group where you're going to be looking? with this influx of new signings and being like, okay, if these guys can gel and start working as a unit, this is where this team could flourish. I think, I think you're right. And for me, it's always, it's always, what does Michael Bradley have defensively and covering ground? Cause I think you see with the late runs, you see with the way he can still ping balls around. Um, those are still his strong suits, but it's, if you told me you had Tyler Adams playing as a six on this team, or, or a player that sort of ball-winning style, um, then I feel differently. But right in the middle of the field is where I am interested to see how it plays out over the next two months. Can Bradley protect the center backs, and can the center backs um, be, frankly, better than they have been? Because it's been rough most of the season. Yeah, and for what it's worth, uh, Salcedo's you know played a large part of the, you know the first half. He's gone now back to Mexico, um, and obviously Henry in, so it's changing that up a little bit. Uh, Matt, I'll just kind of relay that question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just kind of re- relay that question to you, Matt. Um, just like positionally on the field, what's the you know area that you're most interested in, and seeing if you know th- this team can kind of break out of this slump they've been in for the first half, and really for I guess a couple years at this point. I will go with the least flashy pick of all. And I'm going to say that they need more support from their goalkeepers. Uh, Alex Bono has shown himself able to have a, make an incredible save, but uh, does a lot of the small stuff really, really poorly. And I think a lot of times that puts his uh, defenders into poor positions with hospital balls. Um, There's so much quality going forward. I'm looking at that, you know, defensive triangle of their two center backs and their goalkeeper as a significant point of, uh, a significant point of weakness. I think, you know, the, the goalkeeper is always going to, you know, prove most crucial, I think. Um, And we look at Bono and he's a, 
for what he is, we know that he's an okay keeper. I, okay, it might be even slightly mean. I, he's been a very good keeper in this league. This year, um, his G minus XGs, it's a little iffy. It's it's minus 3.8. Um, so obviously small sample size and um, all that stuff factored in. But not necessarily being the keeper that we know he can be. I think you make a great point there, and that will be crucial. Um, I, I think, though, it will help uh, if they can start to, I guess, limit the, the amount of saves he'll have to make and stuff like that. If, if we say that defense in the midfield is able to get ironed out. Just in terms of excitement level, like who are you excited for on this team? Like, I guess, for a single player. Obviously, Insignia and Bernadeschi might be the obvious options. Is it one of them that, um, I guess, Matt, I'll start with you. Like, who's the player that you're really looking at on that team? Um, and especially those new signings to see if they can break out. The the biggest one for me is still uh, Mark Anthony K. Like uh, him getting back to being under Bob Bradley, the the coach who really gave him the opportunity to kickstart his career. Um, I I think that that's the biggest signing that they've made, to be quite honest, out of all of those. And that's the kind of that's not the absolute case, but it's the biggest deficiency that they had that they fixed. So it's Mark Anthony K. And the funny thing is, I, I think I agree with you, but I'm just thinking about like anybody who's like, who doesn't know anything about MLS, who's like a Serie A fan listening to this, and they're like, hold up, like you know, like Insigne Bernadeschi, come on now, who is Mark? It, we are we are sickos uh, to be sure, but no, Mark Anthony K is like, I think he is the biggest in terms of you know that the the other eighth they can use, he can do everything that you need him to do. He's good defensively. He can cover ground, um, spring some attacks. And I think especially filling in, obviously, they knew that they were going to lose Pasuelo to get Bernadeschi. That was, in many ways, a straight swap, just in terms of roster rules and filling and you know freeing up the cap space. But, you know, to have K come in um, via trade and basically fill the role that was left in the midfield and protect Bradley in that back line a little bit is going to be absolutely crucial to let that attack do what it, it can do with those big names. Uh, Andres, uh, yeah, I'll relay that question to you now. Um, player you're most excited to see. So, Insigne was probably one of my favorite players in the world four or five years ago when Napoli was challenging for Serie A. Um, at this point, I'm not sure how healthy he's going to stay. So I don't want to get my hopes up that I'm going to see him very often. Um, but Bernardeschi is still in pretty much prime of his career. And you saw you saw this weekend what he, what he can do. Um, so I think he might just put up some huge numbers here in, in the back half of the season. So I think it's got to be Bernardeschi at this point. Yeah, we'll see if we can get anything, you know, in terms of like why he made this move specifically. Because like, you, like you can give you know all the explanation you want, but a player who's twenty eight year twenty eight years old playing for Juventus with I mean, he's playing basically every game for Juventus, the biggest club in Italy, even though they haven't won uh, in the, for the last two years. Um, you know, has played for the Italian national team as well. Why Toronto? Like that's a that's a question that I'm really interested to see if he'll answer. Um, but you're right, prime of his career. Like he look, he's the the guy that they need to, um, you know, really spring out because we saw in this game, he's serving a lot of those corners. He's instrumental in a lot of those attacks. And 
from his position, he can really, really help this team. Um, super excited to see what he can do. And Insignia, and, I mean, and all of them. Uh, but between Bernadeschi and Mark Anthony K, those would have been my two that I'm really excited to see. Uh, and, and very quickly before we move on from Toronto, uh, they did play the Voyagers Cup um, against Vancouver in the final Tuesday night. And it was Vancouver, the home side, that won on penalties. Um, a little Canadian uh, rough and tumble action happening after the game. I think there was some pushing and shoving. Vanny Sartini uh, getting denied by Bob Bradley, then saying something in Italian. I, I think there was a little bit of uh, some action after the game, too which makes it even more fun. But uh, Toronto will lose out on that trophy um, with you know some of their uh, new players in as well. I think uh, Bernadeschi may have scored in this one as well. So uh, a little I- intrigue there as Vancouver wins the Voyagers Cup. Um, we can move on from Toronto, but I, I was going to talk about them on the last pod, and then we kind of just related it to this week because we knew that you know bet- Saturday was going to be the big game with all the new signings. Um, but I, we can move on to the match I teased earlier, us talking about big implications, two teams at the top of the league table, or near the top of the league table, uh, in Austin hosting the Red Bulls. Red Bulls, you know, jumped out to a early lead, uh, ended up leading 4-1 at one point between before Austin came back and made it a tight one at the end. 4-3 was the final. But for the Red Bulls, you know, before we know what happened next, and uh, what ended up being the um, or get them getting smacked in the Open Cup, this was a very, very good win on the road for a team in the Red Bulls that's still challenging for the uh, the top of the East. Uh, Andres, I'll start with you. What did you see in this one that you really liked from the Red Bulls? Because there was a ton to like in this one from uh, the Red Bulls. Yeah, and unfortunately, it's what I saw from Austin that I didn't like um, almost as much was they were super sloppy out of the back and Red Bulls turned them over in the final third or or on their half of the field multiple times and it led to some some really good basically through ball chances which which Red Bulls put put away and they had two more that that got called back for offside so you know it was really an onslaught and some of it came from the press um some of it came from some good interplay but a lot of it came from just sloppy passes, um, trying to play out of the back from Austin. Um, and I've seen enough Austin games this season to to really figure out that you can't really ever count them out anymore. Um, sometimes it just feels like, you know, things are just kind of breaking their way. You saw that with some crazy wonder goals from Drusy to get them back in the game. And then uh, the third goal was was also a, a bicycle kick attempted shot that comes a, a, across for for an assist um and you almost think that Austin's going to come all the way back and and tie it but Rebel had just enough to hold on after a really good start so just a really fun game to watch uh back and forth quite a bit and and Rebel doing what they do best which is turning teams over in their half of the field yeah and I, I know what you mean about those giveaways from the back. That needs to be, you know, fixed from Austin. Um, from, from the Red Bulls' point of view, it was just good finishing. Uh, Ngoma, the youngster, looked really, really good um, before he had to come off due to an injury, which was, you know, super unfortunate because he scored and looked really bright um, in, in his time that he got. Uh, I, I think from, you know, basically all over the field for the Red Bulls, it was really good. Those two late goals kind of skew things a little bit, especially uh, Drew's second, which was an absolute wonder hit. Um, his first one, 
was a ridiculously complicated volley that he hit, you know, just right, um, coming off of a corner as well. So, you know, between, you know, those two goals, um, maybe look, made this one look slightly worse for the Red Bulls, but they dominated large stretches of this game. Um, Austin started to take it over as we got into the second half, though. And I think it really does show that Austin has that talent, um, Andres, but like, especially attacking wise, they have that talent, but they're, they're prone to mistakes. And it's those mistakes that could hold them back over the long run, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and in this one, I forgot to mention that Stuver was out and, and Tarbo hasn't been playing and he made a, a pretty bad mistake on the first goal, which, which didn't help with their confidence. And in general, I thought, you know, Gabrielson specifically um, has been playing above what I would have expected from them. So they've been better defensively um, than, I, than I would have expected. But this is this is the bad side of of what could be from all and it wasn't just the defense it was also coming from the midfield um it was sometimes playing at the back from the goalkeeper it was just sloppy all the way around and when you have a team on the other side that wants to turn you over up high and and you make those sort of mistakes you get punished so i, I don't know if it's something that austin's going to face very often and you know i'm not sure this is emblematic of what they're going to be going forward um, but this was not not great from them. Yeah. Um, and as I promised earlier, I wanted to touch on Omir Fernandez because he's been really spectacular for large parts of the season for the Red Bulls. Uh, just him springing those attacks on the ball, his passing, it's just been absolutely uh, superb this year um, for the Red Bulls. Matt, have you kind of seen that same stuff that I've seen in Fernandez? Because I think you know, he's been a large part of why this attack has continued to do just enough. You know, even in the even when, you know, Morgan didn't start this one, he was key on a couple of those, uh, you know, build ups and stuff as well. So I, I think it he has to get his due. Um, Omer Fernandez has just been incredible for this team. Absolutely. And, and, and across significant stretches of the season, uh, you see just how vital he is at disrupting those defenses. It, it makes them so hard to make just regular passes throughout. Uh, he hasn't been super, super goal dangerous this year. Two goals, three assists. Uh, but his work rate to go ahead and really unsettle defenses is huge. And he gets the ball into good areas to try and find... Morgan to try and find Lucinius to try and find Klamala. So really excellent uh, on the weekend as well. Yeah. And I, we were, we kind of touched on Austin. We touched on Red Bulls earlier, so we can just about move on from this one, unless you guys have anything else. I mean, for Austin, it's not all that bad. Um, Drew C is still on a red hot form. Uh, probably our MVP candidate at this point. Uh, and Austin's on 41 points uh, through 22 games, good for fourth in the entire league as a whole, second in the West, uh, four points behind LAFC. LAFC does have a game in hand, though. For Red Bulls, they're fifth in the league, third in the East, 36 points on 22 games. Now a pretty sizable gap between them and the Union, a six-point gap um, between them and the top of the East. So some work to do for the Red Bulls and for Austin as well, but two teams that are sitting, you know, pretty well at, at this point in the season um, heading into the home stretch. If they're able to keep up the form that they've been on, they'll be just fine um, as they would head toward a playoff push. Cause we know that both these teams have enough talent to make some noise um, during the dance. 
One we'll quick move point. on, I guess, to RSL and uh, uh, Dallas. This was a super, super interesting game in terms of just back and forth, back and forth. N- midfield w- wasn't really uh, a-, a thing that existed in this game, um, particularly for Dallas. In the second half, RSL was basically creating attacks as they wished. And, and yet Dallas, uh, due to a-, a one goal by Jesus Ferreira, um, early in this match, 14 minutes in, prevailed somehow. RSL missed a couple wide open chances. One that like hit the bar from three yards out or something like that. Just absolutely crazy stuff. Uh, Matt, did you watch this game? And if so, I mean, what was your take? Because RSL need needed to come away with three points from this game, and they came away with zero. Yeah, uh, I was not able to watch the entire match. I was able to watch that like. Uh the the major actions throughout and um from a a dallas perspective i think that you showed exactly what you want to show you show uh sebastian or excuse me uh jesus ferreira still just absolutely monstrous on the day um the one thing that was a little bit surprising is that the (laughs) the expected goals did not work out in favor of Dallas, but for their them to still stay resolute, uh, Pius had a really, really good day. Um, I think that there's there's a lot to like. I love uh, the the engine and Pomacall for the fact that he's been able to stay healthy throughout this season. I think has been great for Dallas. Um, so having him really hold down his position in midfield, I think is big. If Velasco can be a little bit more more goal dangerous, he had a couple of opportunities in this match. Uh, I think that that's the next step. I, I if if Dallas can really iron out their midfield and then just get a little bit more goal dangerous uh, between Velasco and Ariola, they're massive um, for RSL because RSL's kind of been a real point of interest for me over the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, right, really, over the entire season, rough day. Like you would expect to come out of that with a win. You played really, really well. You generate a ton of chances, uh, and then they just don't fall for Cordova. They don't fall for Saverino. It's it's unfortunate. Um, and you're talking about a little bit about the fact that the midfield did not exist in this match, and I think that's the biggest uh, issue with RSL. If the if the midfield doesn't exist. Their strongest point doesn't exist because that the partnership of Ruiz and Lafelsend, or Ruiz and Beasler, or Ruiz and Cald- or, yeah, Caldwell, that's been, in my opinion, what has driven them so far forward this season. So if that's been bypassed or just it's lower on the day, RSL is a little bit easier to play against. And and in this one, it was uh, Ruiz and Lafelsend in there, um, and it was one of those games where. You know, counterattacks was essentially a Dallas player picking up the ball and just making a run as far as they could. And, you know, Ruiz and Laughlin were able to get back enough to basically hold Dallas's attacks to, you know, a minimum. Dallas's XG uh, in this one ended up being uh, 0.63. RSL's was 2.4. That's some difference to not even come out of that game with a point. Uh, Andres, I'm interested in getting your take on this one because... It is one of those matchups where this isn't sustainable patterns of play. This isn't Dallas wants to have this match every single weekend. But it is one of those games where it's like they showed heart, they showed desire, you know, defensively, they stuck it out. And 
I mean, they do come away with three points, and three points for this Dallas team has been pretty hard to come by recently, so I guess they'll take it. Yeah, so I'll take the Dallas side of this one, and I'll say what I saw was a Dallas team desperate to hold on to a lead, um, something that they haven't been able to do, um, desperate for a, for a clean sheet. Um, if we if we go back, Dallas hadn't won in, I was just looking at it, it had been something like almost uh, almost two months since they've won. Um, their last clean sheet was against the Sounders the week after the the CONCACAF Champions League final when the Sounders were um, rotated and at less than optimum capacity, uh, to, to say the least. So they hadn't had a clean sheet since May 7th. They hadn't had a win since May 28th. And once they got the early goal, they completely parked the bus. Um, and they they took out it was it was going to be Velasco then Ariola got hurt so or or had a had a slight knock so they brought in Tafare and they went to a five in the back and they just sat and sat and sat and held on and it was almost like Estevez said we're go- we're not going to do anything we're not going to create uh, we're not going to play with the ball anymore we are just going to hold on to this lead any by any means possible they uh, time wasted uh, they you know. Basically, whatever by 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 hook or by crook, they they held on to the lead, and RSL's um, expected goals were actually higher in the first half. Um, when I thought they were they were better overall, but Dallas has that knack with the front three and with Pomical where they can they can get you on a counter and score, um, and and in this case they were able to hold on. Um, so you're right, not sustainable patterns of play at all. Um, not what Dallas wants to do long term, but I think totally what they needed to do to get a clean sheet and to hold on to a lead. So a huge three points on the road to a good team that's been basically unbeatable at home. So they needed, they really needed this and, and they got it done. Yeah, and sorry, it just started raining in the background. So if you guys hear rain, that's that's on me. Um, but no, a hundred percent. Like this is this is one of those games where. You, you just have to, like, and it's weird. Like, Dallas just basically progressed the ball as far as they could and basically gave up trying to attack. The, the the midfield sat in front of that, you know, defensive line and just tried to create as much of a block as possible. You know, RSL still got that, you know, 2.4 expected goals or whatever. But that's, I, I guess, you know, if for Dallas, you, you do take it. And they're fifth right now, one point behind RSL in uh, the West standings. Uh, that West is just absolutely packed from third all the way down to, I don't know, you could make a claim all the way down to really Colorado. Those are teams with a chance, you know, third to 12th is separated by 10 points. Third to ninth is separated by five points. So it's one of those crazy things. Um, I, I guess before we move on, I just want to do want to touch on it from an RSL point of view is like this team has a lot uh, of talent. We know that they're fourth place and have shown for you know a prolonged period of time this season that they can hang um, at, at you know near the top of the West. But have they shown kind of their ceiling in that they're just not that kind of attacking team that will be just super lethal in front of net? Like Matt, do you think that's their limitation, or what do you think it is? Because I was just uneasy watching this, being like, I just don't think that this is a cup contender. Know about that, and I 
it will never be the first person to to praise RSL, but they're outperforming expectations at the, from the beginning of the season immensely, and they're doing this. And the reason that I say that they might be that kind of contender, they're doing this without Demir Krylock. And if they go ahead and put him right in the middle of that midfield and have him flanked by Miram and um, Sabarino, put uh, Cordova in front of them, put Rubio Rubin in front of them, put Bobby Wood in front of them when he's when they're healthy and really going. That's a really dangerous attack. And I think, you know, they're getting really good performances out of players that you would not have expected it from. Like we talked about Loffelson, we talked about, or uh, uh, Zach McMath has been massive for them. I don't think that I'm, I'm comfortable saying that they are not a contender. Listen, I'm never going to doubt RSL. We've learned that lesson too many times, but um I, I don't know. I just I was uneasy watching this one just because like it just seemed like something was off. But I mean, that could just be a me thing and I, I'm sure this team will be there when it comes to playoffs and like we saw, they don't have to take a shot to win a playoff game. So yeah. I guess anything's possible. Um yeah, and I think was- yeah, in, in this one is they were unlucky at the end of the day. They should mm-hmm. win this game more times than not. Um I, I do want to move on very quickly. Uh Andres and I have kind of been talking about this over the last couple of weeks, the Galaxy situation. Uh, I'll hit this really quick, move on to one more thing, and we can get out of here. Um, we, we saw this uh, last weekend as the Galaxy beat Atlanta 2-0. Another crazy game, by the way. Atlanta had opportunities. Galaxy had opportunities. It was a back-and-forth game. Um, but Jovalich comes on in the last 15 minutes, scores a goal um, after Ch- Chicharito had gotten the start. Um, I'm just really interested, Matt, uh, to hear your point of view on this, because we've kind of discussed this at length, but should Jovalich be the starter? What should that formation look like? Because he had that interview where he's like, I'm the future of the galaxy or something like that. Just really interesting stuff coming out of Los Angeles. There's something there. Um, I think that yeah, it gives you the opportunity to not be required to play Chicharito 24-7. And that's massive if that's the role that Chicharito is comfortable with. If it's not, then that obviously disrupts the locker room and that forces some significantly more difficult conversations. Um, at this point, I would prefer for them to start Jovlich and then either put Chicharito on in place of or put them on next to each other if you're chasing the game because I think... Chicharito running at a tired back line and finding the exact little instances where he can disappear and reappear. That's where he is so, so good. And so I, I think that Jovlich has done enough to go ahead and win that job. Now, there's a whole bunch of other factors, obviously, because Chicharito is also Chicharito and you want people in the stands. But I think that some of, there, there's, there's definitely something there. Yeah, that was kind of our take on it, too. I, I think Jovalich has certainly earned that opportunity. I There shouldn't be a complaint if he ends up starting. And a super interesting uh, you know, storyline to look at as we continue on this season for the Galaxy. So thanks, Matt, for that. 
we never really talk about the league as a whole. I don't, I don't see it. We, we always talk about the teams, the players, the games, but we, we often don't start like stop to talk about the league as a whole and league strategy and marketing and all that fun stuff that we've only done a couple times really because of that media deal. But that was basically it. Um, so I am interested because it just hit me today as I was looking at the schedule and tomorrow we have a 11 o'clock p.m. Eastern time kick between LAFC and the Seattle Sounders. And something about that to me just isn't right. We have LAFC, probably the most marketable team right now in the league, or one of them. We have Seattle, potentially the biggest name next to the Galaxy in the league. What's going on? It's 11 p.m. on the East Coast. Nobody's going to watch this game, and yet you have a marquee matchup between two of the league's biggest teams. Andres, I know you got to bounce, so I'll hit you first. Are you okay with this? And do you think that the league has to do something to make these marketable matches more available for the public? Because nobody's going to stay up on the East Coast and watch this one all the way through. Yeah, Yeah, it makes no sense. I mean, it's on FS1. I'm not sure what's on FS1 before that. But it's a West Coast game on a weeknight, or technically on a on a working night, let's say, because it's Friday. So I guess you couldn't make it much earlier. Um, I'm not sure why, what the reasoning is. It, it, I'm, I'm with you. It really doesn't make a whole lot of sense why you play this on Friday night rather than, I don't know, Saturday at maybe 9 p.m. Eastern, which would be 6 on the West Coast, but people aren't working on Saturday or, or less people are working on Saturday. So I'm sure there's there's some reasoning for it. Maybe it's a stadium issue. Maybe there's a... a concert or I'm, I, I don't know it, it I think you're right I think if you can avoid it this is this is not optimal um, especially considering despite the last one being not great Seattle LAFC you basically got you know two your most marketable team and your you know consistent dynasty type team uh, playing up against each other you would you would want that on national TV at a better time so yeah um, perplexing. Yeah, I, I think perplexing is the word, Matt. I we often talk about like marketable things and you know places where the league can grow. I feel like LAFC and Seattle are two really clear cut places for the league to say we can start to build off the success that these teams have had, and yet that doesn't seem to be what they're doing here. Um, you know, you can kind of have the last word on this before we wrap up another pod. What what do you think went into this decision? Do you think it's a good decision? And how can the league start to make these more key matchups more available to the public and grow the league as a result? It's a tough one. I uh, I'll definitely have be the the boring answer out of all of this. Uh, it it is so context dependent um, on you know what's going on at the stadium. I my assumption is it's that it's not a. a a concert or something like that, because that would obviously be a huge, huge issue. Uh, or it, it just would have so many more logistics. Uh, but we see that Apple deal really being, you know, uh, it, it working well because of the fact that it's going to become a pr- uh, priority for the folks that are producing that content. And this shows MLS being a back burner type of thing. Uh, that, is not really acceptable in my opinion. So unless the context is pretty extreme, this is pretty lame. 
I, I think it's just whether it's a league thing or a um uh, something like pertaining to the TV networks. Either way, it doesn't really matter because the league decided to and I now know that you know it's gonna change, it's gonna be on Apple TV Plus, but that's also a streaming service. It's not FS1. A lot of places have FS1. So again, you kind of come into that conundrum of like this game should never be on at 11 p.m. on the East period between these two teams. But then at the same time, like if even if it's at a slightly better time, it's also on a streaming service. How many people are going to you know choose to turn that on? Like I it's just a super interesting conundrum that they have. And I don't know what's going to solve it because it's just a really bad situation. But you know, like it or not, this game should not be at this time because it's LAFC, it's the Sounders, you know. This deserves prime time. Like, this is... 100%. A1, number one building. Like, it, it's, it's... Again, without extreme context, extremely lame. I'm, I'm just looking at the FS1 TV schedule, and, like, there's, like, two hours of racing from six to eight, and I, Andres made a good point about a weeknight and stuff like that. And I know that we're kind of nitpicking this game, but this is a a larger problem that exists more broadly as it pertains to MLS getting on TV at marketable times. Because the, I doubt they're running ads for stay up at 11 p.m. and watch this, you know, go on. Like, I don't know. There's from 4.30 to 8 p.m. It's basically straight racing. There's an hour, an hour and a half of horse racing before that. Like, I I have to think that MLS could be a slightly more marketable thing than like a NASCAR race, like just on the on the normal NASCAR circuit. Like I, I just don't I don't get it. But maybe that's just my MLS brain talking, and I'm sure there's plenty of racing fans that would get on my throat. But like, man, I, I feel like MLS deserves more. But I don't know. I think it does. I definitely think it does. Yeah. But hey, uh. Not necessarily the happy way to end the pod, but hey, I, I we talked about a lot of fun stuff. So we had a cup set in the last, you know, twenty four hours. Life's pretty good now for the league as we head in uh, to next weekend. Uh, I believe it's a full slate of games, so should have a ton to talk about. Didn't even get to the fact that Tati Castellanos has scored for Girona now and is gone uh, for the next year and a half from. NYCFC, so that's something to talk about as well. But hey, we didn't even get to that. It was a jam-packed pod. Um, yeah, full weekend of action, a midweek to talk about as well. So, so much um, uh, that we have coming up in the next couple weeks, and hopefully you'll stick around and listen to us then. So, Matt, thank you so much. Uh, thanks to Andres as well. Uh, we'll be back, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, sometime in the uh, middle of the week next week. So, until then, enjoy life, enjoy the beautiful game. And thank you so much for listening.